Stud City. Perfect. Welcome to Stud City, the podcast for literally everyone. Today on the podcast, I'm joined with my co-host, Cody Peterson, one of the most handsome men I know. You know, I do the compliment thing after every intro. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest and a very special subject. We have John Collin, host of the Block Party Podcast, the POD Cast, Hockey Fight Podcast, and recently put out a new comedy album, Long Stories for No Reason. Let's get right into the podcast. We be talking Limp Biscuit up in this motherfucker. Welcome, John, expert of Limp Biscuit. Hey guys, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, um, one of the podcasts you mentioned there, the POD cast, as you might be able to tell by the title, is a podcast <laughs> about new metal. And I always said that my goal with it was to be like that either myself or my co host Brian would be sort of considered like a new metal expert. Like that right. would be like the goal. Like if ever, you know, like, the New York Times wanted a quote about Limp Biscuit or something that like I'd love to imagine that they would like think of one of us because that happens with curling sometimes like I'm a curler and I'm in the curling media so sometimes especially like when the Olympics is on or whatever mm-hmm. I'll just get yeah. like random people being like hey you know would you be happy to throw me a quote for this or whatever so it's like if, the, if I ever get there with new metal I'll feel pretty special and so this is like this is nice. You know, I mean, you guys, no offense, not as big as the New York Times, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but just no. like one step below. So that's nice. I'm like yeah. one step closer. See, so joke. Where you uh, go? To, to the New York <laughs> Times. So it feels good. So thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. And I'm always happy to talk new metal anytime. Not as big as the New York Times, but we are masters of misinformation. So oh, we have per- call. So there you go. Hey, that's what it's all about. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Where do you get your information? Like the problem is the New York Times pretends that they're giving you the right info. So that's the thing is like, you know, I don't think people are coming to a podcast called Stud City hoping to get the facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But you would be surprised. <laughs> um, no, it is true. Like there is a weird thing where I think because there are legitimate podcasts that provide Mm -hmm. facts and news and stuff it does sometimes get kind of like lumped in where people are just like oh well you talked into a microphone so it must be true and you're like absolutely not have you listened to like literally any other episode (laughs) of this show like it's just yeah totally 100 even shit about my own life i get wrong sometimes i've had both my brother and my sister call me at separate times and be like bo that didn't happen to you. That happened to me. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm just kind of out of shit to say at this point. <laughs> nice. Right. Yeah. Like this is like, you know, you're going to be like a historian of music coming up and you're going to be doing keynotes at UBC about new oh, metal and man. stuff, man. And this I is just so. a start, <laughs> but no, I'm uh, I'm super excited to talk about Limp Bizkit. Uh, if you don't really know, I'm very, very late to the party on Limp Bizkit um like they just put out the Lollapalooza set which was so crazy and like so much fun to watch and I was like oh holy shit these guys are good so my literally in my past week has just been like catching up on 20 years of Limp Bizkit and so that's why I invited John on because I know he's like an expert of it and I just want to like talk about it and like what all have I missed and shit. And it, it, re- it really is new to him because like he has texted me like just weird shit. Like, hey, have you heard break stuff before? I'm like, yes, Cody, I've heard break stuff before. <laughs> that, yeah, like when you DM'd me, like, uh, like how old are you? I'm 29. 
Okay. So yeah. I mean, it sort of makes sense that you would have missed it. Like, I, I feel like I was right in the, like, I'll be 36 this year. Mm-hmm. And so when, when this was really popular, I was like 13 to 16. So I was yeah. sort of like the kind of perfect age for it. So, yeah. So I guess you would have been like five. So yeah, I guess that makes sense that you would have totally missed it, but it was just, it was funny to me because I don't think I've come across too many white guys, especially <laughs> who are like limp biscuit. I've never heard of them. You know, it's like, it feels like you get born as a white man and they just hand you a copy of significant other. And you're like, all right, I've got to study this. You know, yeah. this is what it's all about. Yeah, yeah no, but yeah, I was- it's, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm thrilled that you're, I, I'm thrilled that someone who had never heard of Limp Biscuit in the year of our Lord 2021 <laughs> yeah. saw some Limp Biscuit content was like that rocks because like I feel like most people just they if they what they know of Limp Biscuit is that they're a joke so mm-hmm. they just kind of go into any Limp Biscuit content assuming like oh I'm gonna hate this and I'm just gonna make fun of it so like I actually think it's cool that you saw it and you were just like oh this actually kicks ass because it it does yeah totally and it, I, like i was the kind of kid where i was like into like britney spears and like backstreet boys and i was getting beat up by the kids i like link biscuit and i was like <laughs> or limp biscuit and i was just like man fuck this shit i don't care about my way or the highway and then like i put on lola the lola palooza sex my fiance is a couple years older than me and she was like dancing and i like saw like fred durst come out in that awesome costume but he was just like get the fuck up and i was like oh like if i was not into limp biscuit and i was there i would be immediately so into it like his like stage presence was just insane 100 percent. and one of the great things about cody as a person which you kind of just acknowledge a little bit is he's one of the most earnest people in the entire world like one of the most earnest people in the entire world so if he likes something he actually genuinely likes it and kind of going back to what cody was saying about him not growing up with limp biscuit i did grow up around a lot of limp biscuits stuff and i think the reason for that is cody doesn't have an older brother and i did have an older brother and that is that is kind of how things get mixed up a little bit yeah i mean i think it's i mean yeah it's very cool that you're very earnest (laughs) and i think like it's the the prime example that I can always point to for this stuff is um, I went to the summer sanitarium tour in 2003, uh, which was uh, Metallica, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, Deftones and Mudvayne. It was wow. at Seahawks Stadium in Seattle. It was crazy. And um, <clears throat> this was right. So this is in 2003. So this is like sort of when public um, sort of pressure was heavy on Limp Bizkit. Like, you know, people, people were really starting to think of them as like a joke. Wes Borland had left the band results may vary came out and it wasn't very good. And they did the who cover of behind blue Mm -hmm. eyes, which a lot of people hated. And so it was just this sort of like, there was a lot of groundswell and, and Lincoln Park was like the opposite. This was like right when Lincoln Park was like in the ascendancy meteora had just come out. And so there was a lot of consternation that Limp Biscuit was billed above Lincoln Park. And there was also like talk that Limp Biscuit had refused to do the tour if Lincoln Park was going to play after them and whatever. So I can remember. So Lincoln Park played third. So it went Mudvayne, Deftones, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park blew the roof off the place. I mean, there was no roof. It's a football stadium. <laughs> the the, the mm-hmm. metaphorical roof, they crushed. It was unbelievable. Like people were just so into them. It was an awesome show. And then Limp Biscuit, like it was, they came out on stage to booze and people were like booing them and like, fuck you and giving middle fingers and whatever. 
And Fred just came out and he was like, I know you guys fucking hate me, but by the end of this set, you're going to fucking love me. And uh, then they went into whatever their first song was. I think it was counterfeit maybe. And he just like taunted the crowd and like, he was like, fuck you. You guys think we suck. Like we're going to get, and they just put on such a good show that by the end they had literally like turned the whole crowd for them. And I've never really seen, I've never really seen that before. I've been to festivals and stuff. And I've never really seen a crowd just like straight up, like boo a band. And that's where like Limp Biscuit was at. Like they, they, you know, the lights went down for them to come out and people were booing and it was like crazy. And they just, they rolled with it. And I think that's like something Limp Biscuit has always been really good at is like, I don't know that I would say that they're necessarily in on the joke, but I think mm-hmm. that they were okay with sort of being a joke or they were mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, you, you think we're a joke? Well, here we go. We'll just, we'll see how much of a joke we are kind of thing. Cool. I think that's like one of the best things. I mean, in my opinion, about best things about that time period in general, the like early aughts time period was that there was much like Cody, like a certain type of earnestness and a certain type of fuck you sort of mentality that you just don't see in music today. I mean, I've done this rant a million times on the podcast. I don't really want to get into it, but like, I do feel like, um, our generation um, was like, kind of the last generation that had like rock and not rock and roll music, but pop culture that was like dangerous, like had picket signs and shit like that. And Limp mm-hmm. Bizkit like fell right in line with that type of stuff. It was a bunch of white boys that were making rock, rock, rap and rock music. And they were kind of like beefing like like rappers were, but kind of had the punk rock mentality of like a Sex Pistols or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. People people hated it. And it and it was like um we were just we actually just covered Korn's Follow the Leader uh on uh, on the POD cast and we were I was reading um like a retrospective article with Jonathan Davis uh from 2018 and he was basically saying like, you know, one of the reasons that Follow the Leader got so big is just cuz the label like fully pushed it, like fully believed in it, fully pushed it super hard. Um, put a ton of money behind it for videos and the cover of the album was done by Todd McFarlane, which couldn't have been cheap, you know, just all the little stuff like that. And he was like, I think that we were like legitimately the last rock band that like Sony Epic gave money to. Like, he's like, in some ways, the 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 sort of the death of rock or whatever he was almost attributing to the record labels rather than anything else that they just kind of stopped trying to build like massive rock acts and they just weren't as into that anymore and it's kind of true like if you think about you know what are the big rock bands now it's like you know the sort of butt rock the foo fighters Mm -hmm. and the nickelbacks and stuff of the world but in a lot of cases those are sort of self-made bands they don't feel like it was a label push necessarily. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting to think about that sort of being the last bastion of rock. And it was like this form of rock that a lot of people hate, which is also very fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that had something to do with it as well. Um, like, I, I mean, when I was thinking about that time period in my life, like I just remember being just eating everything that I possibly could at the time. Nice. And walking into my brother's room and seeing a copy of chocolate starfish and being like what the fuck is this and then putting it in my walkman and listening to the album front to back and i gotta say like that's the last period of time in my life that i probably would have ever done that you know like just put an album in and listen to it and not have the influence of like 
the idea of what critics were. There was no like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic or anything like that. I was simply like listening to this music and enjoying it in a real way. And so what you're saying about Korn is super interesting that like the record that he's blaming this on the record labels. And I'm wondering if that's true or if public interest ran out and that it's easy to say that the record labels were responsible for it. Well, I also think the record labels stopped putting money behind anybody. So it's like, you know, so it's also that's part of it, too, is I think it's your point is well made. It's sort of coincided with the rise of MySpace and the Internet where it became less about record labels started realizing like, oh, we don't have to make stars anymore. People can make themselves and then we'll sign them, you know, and you'd Mm -hmm. hear of like. You know, if you had less than a hundred thousand MySpace followers or less than a million MySpace plays, like a label wouldn't even talk to you, kind of thing. And so that that was sort of where it shifted. Where, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, you could get signed off of a concert. Like it was just like you you play a show at Whiskey a Go Go or something like that, and the right A and R guy was in the crowd, and then all of a sudden you were the biggest band in the world. Like six months later you know, that system as a whole just completely doesn't exist anymore. So I, I agree with John a little bit, but the, I mean, you know, the more reading you do about corn, um, you know, there as here's what I will say, I've made this point on the POD cast before. Mm -hmm. I think Fred Durst is like a literal genius. Like I think he's like an actual genius and he's an incredibly intelligent guy who knew exactly the right things to do to make himself and his band famous. And he still does in some ways. Um, and corner are like five of the dumbest guys you could ever meet in your entire life. It was just like, they just got super lucky. Like I think, so Korn's two guitar players are named Head and Monkey. I think they're like sort of smart. Um, Head, especially, you can when he does interviews, he comes across as very smart. But if he's like in corn mode, he's kind of like um he's corn a bit mode. of a him, he's a bit of a himbo. Yeah. Like he's like <laughs> when he when he's doing corn stuff, he'll be like kind of drunk and like annoying. But if he but if he's like sits down for a serious interview, you can tell he's like actually a smart guy. And mm. I think the guitar work in corn is very complicated. So you can't really make guitars like work like that if you're dumb. But Fieldy the bassist, David the original drummer, and John Davis are like three of the dumbest guys to ever make it without question. So yeah. so it's like different because I think Limp Biscuit are all legitimately very smart. I think Wes Borland is super talented. They pulled John Otto out of doing a Masters of Fine Arts and Jazz to drum for them. Sam Rivers is a crazy good bass player. Like I think Limp Biscuit is actually all smart, which is interesting because mm-hmm. I think the popular perception is that Limp Biscuit's like the stupidest of all the new metal bands. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. And 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 when I was doing research for this episode, like a lot of that as far as I was concerned from my research was that like a lot of that was the brainchild of Fred Durst. Like he mm-hmm. went up to West Borland and he said, We need to make music like this. We need to do rapping and rocking. That was the exact quote that I heard. And like stealing DJ Lethal from yeah that was a, a smart idea yeah <laughs> but I just think that that's like pretty remarkable that he I mean he must have had his finger on the pulse of pop culture at that time in a way that probably many didn't right well he's just a master marketer too like uh, that's just his main thing is like he just <clears throat> he yeah everything he did was so smart like you say uh, finding the band members um, you know they got discovered because he 
tattooed fieldy from corn when he wasn't a tattoo artist and he just told fieldy <laughs> that he was yeah. and snuck a demo tape into fieldy's pocket and then it went from there um and yeah and just like the hustle too like he was just not shy of doing the right things i mean cody your background right now is him and yeah. christina aguilera like there was rumors that they dated and like i don't even think that they did like i don't my gut feel is that both of them realized that it would like raise their stock to be seen together right. so they just so that's why they did it i i just can't wrap my head around christina aguilera being interested in him and i just they and it was weird it was only ever at like award shows there was never any like paparazzi pictures of the two of them or whatever so it felt like very calculated in a way it's hard to imagine a world where being photographed with the lead singer of limp biscuit would be seen as like a positive but there was a did i give him the nookie yeah exactly that is the famous line that he said right when they were like why like why did you do that because their fans were quite upset that he was on stage with christina aguilera performing and didn't he say well i did it for the nookie and then christina aguilera came out and was like no you didn't yeah she was like i would never i would never touch that man's penis i think that was the direct quote something like that she was like, you know, I have a six octave voice, right? <laughs> you know that I'm like the hottest woman on earth right now. Yeah, you yeah. guys get that, right? You understand that? You've seen the dirty music video, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Listen, you've, you've probably jacked off to it. Let's be honest. You've probably jacked off to the dirty music video. I have. Yeah, yeah, of course. Who hasn't? Course. Yeah. Who it may have been age. the first thing I ever jacked off to. to <laughs> exactly. Whomst <laughs> exactly. <laughs> among us. Yeah. Exactly. Was there any like truth uh, relationships he had like with Britney Spears or anything? Or is it you think it's all bullshit? I think it's all bullshit. Yeah. I think it's all bullshit. <laughs> I will say one one very funny thing about Fred is uh so we i often on pod cast we read we'll read like old articles certain interviews that came out like around mm-hmm. the time that the albums were coming out so significant other as you might imagine is about a breakup that that fred went through um <clears throat> and it's so funny like it's just so 1999 he did this like spin profile they were like the cover story and he was basically like blaming his ex's bisexuality on him like cheating on her which was like really funny like it was so funny like he he was basically like yeah like you can't like you can't trust like she you know i didn't think she was bi and then she like told me she was bi and then like yeah she just wants to fuck men and women and like you just can't trust someone like that and it was like the quotes in it are so bizarre and it was just like yeah, he just doesn't seem like the type of guy that like would have been able to land like a big I don't know. I right. mean, I, I like I do think that people thought Fred Durst was hot. I mean, I think mm-hmm. for sure that that was not like it was not like an abnormal thing to think that like he was attractive, but yeah, as far as like a Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera type thing, I mean, I think Eminem writing the lyric about uh those two arguing over who she who gave head to for, yeah. first. I think that did more for the public perception that Fred hooked up with them than than anything else. So, yeah, I believe the lyric was so I can sit next to Carson Daly and Fred Durst right. and hear him argue over who she who gave, gave head, head, to, head to, to first. Yes, that's right. Yes. And and of course, there is the song Girls that Eminem released, which was like a direct diss at Limbiscuit. And I looked a little bit into that beef and it's 
quite interesting because really what it's about, it's about men hurting each other, which I thought was really interesting in like very catty ways. So basically what happened was that Eminem was going to write a diss song about Everlast and Limp Bizkit at the time, uh, Limp Bizkit at the time had beef with Everlast. And so they were all going to meet at the studio and Fred Durst faked a toothache and didn't show up for the recording of the song. And so Eminem went and recorded the song and made a verse saying basically fuck you to Limp Bizkit and calling them all little girls. And, um, and and then Limp Bizkit came out and like, I guess they didn't want the smoke or whatever. And they were just kind of hurt about it from what I could see from the quotes and stuff. And I thought it was like really interesting because it was about just men being kind of sad and hurt that they didn't have each other's backs in situations. <laughs> Fred's Which, a very, Fred's a sensitive guy. Like, yeah. mo- like most of their songs are about breakups. And I think it's like all comes down to that, like one woman. Uh, that you know the the bisexual demon or whatever that yeah. <laughs> uh, Fred paints her to be, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, I think yeah, I think Fred is a is a pretty sensitive guy, and he strikes me as the type of guy that, like I said earlier, I think that he was okay with people hating Limp Biscuit because that was good for Limp Biscuit. Yeah, I think deep down he strikes me as the type of guy that would have read a lot of the criticism and would have been upset at at the fact that they were being criticized for for their music because i just think that he yeah i think i don't know it's just hard like when you when you sell that many records and you're as popular as these bands were it's impossible not to on some level think you're doing something serious even if yeah, your biggest hit is like I did it all for the nookie. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah, you know, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you got to take yourself seriously if you're dealing with literally tens and tens of millions of dollars. Like all of a sudden, this is fucking serious, right? So they're like super big, like ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. Did it seem like they kind of like take took a step back? Like, like okay, we're obviously like we got haters and stuff. We're not gonna put out album after album. Just keep going, you know. I think most of it was Wes, to be right. honest. Um, I, I think that was the biggest factor because Corn, Corn's never really stopped. You know, I mean, you could call their album with Skrillex uh, stopping, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but technically, Corn is never like they've put out an album. I think I think they've never gone longer than three years without putting out an album since mm-hmm. 1994. Mm-hmm. So so I don't think it's that. I think it's mostly Wes. I think. Wes left the band before results may vary. They did results may vary without him. It tanked. And I think that Fred realized that Wes was extremely important to Limp Bizkit. And I think he also realized that he didn't want to make music without Wes. And it's, it's a weird thing because um, I think Wes kind of hates being in Limp Bizkit. Uh, okay. You know, there's, you can find lots of interviews where, he kind of alludes to the fact that he doesn't love being in Limp Bizkit. But one thing that you realize reading all these interviews is that on some level, Wes accepts that like the best version of himself is the version of him that's in Limp Bizkit. So like he, cause he, cause Wes has done other, he's done some solo stuff. He has a project called big dumb face and he did a few albums with that. And he's done some, uh, he's done some like scoring of movies and that kind of thing. And I think, he sort of realizes like, I don't maybe love the music, but I'm at my creative best when I'm working with Fred and when I'm working with Limp Bizkit. And so I think 
that was the big, to me that I'm just guessing, I don't, mm-hmm. Fred's never really said that, but I think the biggest factor in why they sort of stopped as it were, I mean, they still released albums. They put out the unquestionable truth, I think in 07 and then gold Cobra was 2011. Um, I think that they, yeah, I think it was just solely based on that, that Fred was just like, well, Wes doesn't want to do this anymore. So I'm not sure that I want to do this. Plus Fred's been saying from the beginning, like if you read interviews with him from the late nineties and early aughts, he's been saying from the beginning that he wanted to like be a film director and do that kind of thing. He directed a bunch of their music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that was also part of it too, was he was like, well, okay, if Limp Biscuit's not going, then I'll start trying to direct movies or music videos or whatever. And I'll be mm-hmm. satisfied doing that as well. So I, th- I think it's like a combination of all those things. I don't think, it's necessarily him being like, well, people hate us. So I'm going to, so we should stop making music. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's as tied to that, that yeah. aspect of it. Have you uh, watched any of his movies? I know you're not a big movie guy, but have you <laughs> tried? I watched the fanatic. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. We watched it for a Patreon bonus episode and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Have you guys seen it? No, I haven't. I just kind of like looked up reviews. I saw it, uh, nothing to do with this podcast. I saw it for my own pleasure. Whoa, and uh, it's, is... yeah. The it thing, even, it wasn't even for work, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm, yeah. just a fan of, I'm just a fan of cinema. You know, I just like to get into it and <laughs> get inside the mind of the director, you know? The love well, of the game. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, usually, I, yeah, I try to get people to pay me if I'm doing something I really don't like doing, but talk um, about it. But it is like, there, there's a couple things about that movie that are so funny to me. The first one, uh, so if you've never seen it, uh, it's a movie directed by Fred Durst. It stars John Travolta and Devin Sawa of Wild America and Little Giants fame. Uh, and annoying and, Twitter. Yeah, and slackers, I think is what most people know him for. But um, but yeah, so, so Devin Sawa plays like a movie star and John Travolta plays this on the spectrum it's never confirmed that he has autism but it's insinuated he's you know on the spectrum a fan of this uh, of this actor played by Devin Sawa so a couple of things are very funny to me first thing <laughs> is that John Travolta had an autistic son who passed away um so like his portrayal of like being an autistic person um, that's like borderline offensive in this movie is like somehow made like more offensive by the fact that you like had a kid that had autism. And then you're like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to chase this. I'm going to chase this role where I pretend to have this <laughs> mental affliction is very insane to me. Um, and then also if you read interviews with John Travolta, he did. Cause people are sort of like how, like, I mean, yeah, John Travolta is kind of a joke, but he's still mm-hmm. like, I mean, one of the biggest movie stars of our time. Uh, and, and people asked him like, you know, like, how did you end up being in this movie? And he was like, uh, I just believed in Fred so yeah. much. And he talked about like, he, he met Fred a few times at like, I guess parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Fred was like, so passionate about this project. And he was like, so insistent that John Travolta was the only guy who could play this role that eventually Travolta was just like, I just had to believe him i had to believe that we were like pardon me doing something special Mm. and um i mean they weren't but it's just crazy (laughs) that like yeah but but that's the thing of fred durst right is like it kind of goes to show you're like okay so that is sort of how fred 
got so famous. And that's part of why I think he's a genius is because he has almost no talent and he's surrounded himself with all these insanely talented people all the time. And so there has to be something to him that makes these talented people want to work with him. Um, and then the other funny thing in Bo, you know, you'll obviously remember this part of the movie. There's a part of the movie where Devin Sawa is driving in his car and puts on Limp Bizkit, yeah, uh, which is incredible. Whoa. It's an incredible scene. He puts it on in the car and he's he's got like a eight-year-old kid in the back or however old the kid is. And he's like, have you ever heard of these guys? And the kid's like, no. And Devin Sawa is like, oh, it's Limp Bizkit. These guys were huge back when I was your age. <laughs> Incredible. You can, you can yeah. watch it on YouTube. I've lo- I looked it up for the podcast. It's, it's, un- it's so good. And the funny part about that is, too, I read about that. And Fred apparently d- didn't want to put that in. It was what? He says, <laughs> Devin Sawa says it was all his idea. He was like, well, we're driving in the car. Why wouldn't we have Limp Biscuit playing? Like, apparently Devin Sawa was like a legit Limp Biscuit fan back in the day. So he's like, why wouldn't you play Limp Biscuit here? And Fred's like, I'm not going to play my own band. And Devin Sawa's like, no, man, your band's sick. Like, you should. De-. And that's <laughs> how, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But like the fact that that's what the story is, that Fred was like, no, no, don't play my own music. And Devin Sawa like insisted, like, no, no you put a Limp Bizkit track in here. And I don't even think it was like a big one. I think it was a track off of Gold Cobra. Like it wasn't even like Nookie or whatever. So that was also very fun. (laughs) To to Devin Sawa's credit, um, that is maybe something you would play for your eight-year-old son age-wise. Like that does actually kind of add up. Totally. You know, so it did kind of, it was true to the story, baby. You know? Oh, yeah. I'm so fucking stealing that for the next thing I direct. It's just like, oh, you haven't heard Stud City? And it's just us talking about music videos we jerked off to. <laughs> Regardless of who's in the car. <laughs> you guys ever, have you heard of Stud City? They were huge when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They weren't as big as the New York Times, but they were big. Yeah, they were pretty big. They were the second most reliable source of new metal information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... um this is a good time, man. I fucking love Limp Bizkit. Um, Me too. Yeah, so I think <laughs> the next thing I really wanted to ask you was um, doing research for this. I, I keep saying that. I don't know why it's super lame. But um, Oh, it's good. It's smart. This. It's good. Yeah, thank it you. We learned it. Sound, you know, yeah, it makes you and, sound fact-based. Thank you. Thank you. We try and learn. You know, we try the, and si- just... the sick part of this is that I have no notes or anything in front of me. I just <laughs> yeah. know this much about Limp Bizkit. That's the sad... That's the much worse part. It's better to be like, I had to do a lot of research about Limp Bizkit than be the guy who's like, no, I just know this much about Limp Bizkit. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, Cody actually said to me, because normally I, I'll just like pop culture off the top of my head when we have a subject that we're talking about. But on this one, Cody was like, you really do have to research. This guy knows a lot about this shit. <laughs> I was like, okay, man, sure. <laughs> I like the idea that you felt like you had to do that for me. I'm not a nobody, but I appreciate it. That's nice. Um, so the, my next question was going to be, um, since their Lollapalooza said that supposedly their streams have skyrocketed, their buys on iTunes have skyrocketed, is there a little part of you that feels like your, your little special niche is getting co-opted and now it's going to turn into... It's or- to revival revive it it's going to become a revival which is maybe loses the cool of liking something that is not cool anymore no i love it Fuck i yeah. love it i want right. i want people to get back in the new metal it's funny because so brian and i have been doing pod cast for almost exactly two years we started in in 2019 and um right at the start of doing it together 
Brian would talk on the show about how he felt like there was going to be a new metal revival uh, just because he felt like the climate of the world was like similar. And, and like Brian is not, yeah. no one would call, and, and this is not, Brian won't be mad if he hears me say this. No one would call Brian a scholarly guy. Okay. <laughs> but the fact that he was like on, t- like, he was like, no, I just, I feel like, you know, the country, the way the country feels about Trump and just like, you know, it was sort of the same way that people were feeling about Clinton and, and into the Bush era. And he's like, I, I genuinely feel like there's going to be a new metal revival. And I think it's like, I think it's partly that, but I also think it's partly that we're in the, we're in the peak, like let people enjoy things era, you mm. know? And so it's kind of one of those things where you just sort of new metal comes in cycles of liking it. Like even me, I, I abandoned it for a while too. You know, I, I think um, it was actually really funny. I was reading an article today on Luke, uh, Luke O'Neill's hell world newsletter on Substack. He uh, Rax King was like a guest writer for it. And she was talking about how she grew up loving Creed. And then like yeah. the end of the end of the piece, she was talking about how she just kind of stopped liking Creed for a while because people told her that you weren't allowed to like Creed. And then eventually mm. she just came to be like, no, you know what? I like them. Like it's, I just do, I can't explain it, but I like them. And I think I definitely went through that with new metal as well, where I was like a massive new metal fan in its peak. And then I, and then right when it was right, when the peak was ending was also right when I went to university. So it was like a kind of, you know, I wanted to seem cool. I wanted to try to get laid. Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't get laid listening to corn in 2004. Like that just wasn't <laughs> going to happen, you know? So you kind of had to like, so I went through this phase of, I don't know that I ever told people I hated it, but I, even myself, I kind of stopped listening to it. And if people asked, I'd be like, well, you know, corn's got a few good songs. Like mm. I would never cop to like liking a bunch of their albums or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting now that like, I think, and then I got older and eventually you just go, no, like this stuff kind of kicks ass. And it reminds you of being young, which is always fun and good. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think to answer your question, no, like I don't, I don't feel like I have some sort of, protectorate over new metal yeah. or that I because the, the thing is Bo like new metal's never been cool and it's still not even if there's a new metal revival yeah. there will still be a massive part of the population that thinks it's fucking lame and stupid and whatever so I don't think I necessarily have to worry not that I would ever worry but there there's it's even when it was super popular tons of people hated it so yeah it's a love or hate thing. And so even if it comes back, you know, I would love for more people to love it, but I still think there's going to be lots of people who hate it. And I'm not going to feel like, Oh, well I loved it before you like, I don't care about any of that. Like, I think it's great. I, if more people like it, then that rocks. If that's going to lead to like more Limp Bizkit tours and albums and whatever, sign me up. I'm in. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I, you, I mean, going back to what you said about Fred Durst being a marketing genius, which when you said it, I'd never thought about it like that. Right. And so when you said it, it kind of like hit me in the back of the head and like his look change that he posted on Instagram, like that's really fucking so smart. Sick. Yeah. Right. Cody. Yeah. Totally. Like got people talking. It was so like, and it was a sick ass look. And it was like, a sick ass look. yeah, um, I did have a question for you guys, actually, um, since you're both like fairly young men, when you got into Limp Biscuit, did it ever like, change your attitude at all like did you ever like quote it like to people because like 
I find now just listening to little doses, like my fiance will be reading, and I just want to be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> just really, no reason. Like, did it ever get you in trouble or anything like that? Like, taking that persona? Mm, I would say, yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, when Nookie, well, so I've told this story on the POD cast, and it's one of my favorite stories is um so yeah so when nookie came out probably like significant other came out in 99 so probably nookie came out right before that like the music mm-hmm. video and whatever and what i used to do is i would tape music videos i liked on much music and then i would just sit and like play the videos over and over again and then to learn the words to songs i would like write them down so like they would oh. sing the first line and i would pause the music video and i'd write the line down and then i would play and pause so then i could sing along with the song now and that was like my bit i love to do that so i didn't know what nookie was i was 13 <laughs> like and also nookie is kind of an outdated reference for sex anyway even at that <laughs> yeah. time i don't think a lot of people were calling sex nookie no it's and a so, 50s reference yeah totally yeah. so it so that's the thing is so I never, I didn't know what it was. I had no clue. I was 13 years old. So I wrote out these lyrics and then I just like left them like on the coffee table or like, <laughs> where, wherever I left them. And I remember, and my mom was like, why are like, what's this song you're listening to? That's like about, and I was like, oh, it's just like a song by Limp Biscuit." And she was like, oh, I'll. I don't know if I want you listening to that song. And I was like, oh, well, I, there's nothing. He doesn't swear in it or anything. Because I, I actually think Nookie doesn't have fuck in it, I don't think. And so mm-hmm. she, I was like, there's no swearing in it, like whatever. And she's like, and I remember her being like, well, do you know what Nookie is? And I was like, no. And then she was like, okay. <laughs> this is before the internet, really. Right. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like I was going to go look up what it meant. No. So then I think she was just sort of like, oh, okay, like, all right, well, whatever, just, you know, you be careful with what you listen to kind of thing. But, but yeah, I definitely think for me, it certainly ushered in like swearing more for sure. I mean, cause I listened to like, I went from pop punk to new metal. So I like my bands when I was in like grade school were like green day, blink 182 Weezer. That was kind of the main and green day swore a little bit. And obviously like blink 182 had some like dick jokes and swearing, but they weren't like, it wasn't the same. It wasn't like aggressive, like the way it for is in sure. There was more. Yeah, for sure. There was more of like a almost jackassy silly, like, they had that so the secret track track on take off your pants and jacket. Um, I want to fuck a dog in the ass. It was more like yes. silly. Yes, exactly. Whereas like, yeah, new metal sort of promoted aggression. So it mm-hmm. was like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it influenced me. Not that I was ever like saying it to my parents, but certainly like, as far as just even like saying fuck more and stuff like that, like absolutely it, it did no, like no question for me. Yeah. No, no. You, question. Know, you know what, John? You say fuck really good, dude. You say good fuck. <laughs> you have a what? good fuck, man. I'm always clocking people's fucks. Oh, seeing how okay. they say it. You got a good fuck, man. That was oh, awesome. thank yeah. you. Thank no you. worries. That's dude. the first you time can... anyone's ever told me that. <laughs> I'm all about weird compliments. So no, no, I like go. it. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, nice. I mean, I it didn't change me, but I saw it change my brother. Um, yeah. And I don't know if like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know if it fueled him, but it, you know, that music was coming out right when my parents were getting divorced and you oh, had, you know, 10 yeah. year old boy, new metal. Um, he, he ended up, I remember he assaulted a special tree that our school had grown. 
<laughs> it was this special ceremonial tree. Whoa. And my brother just assaulted it, like tore off all the branches and everything. And maybe I shouldn't be saying this about my brother. Assaulting a tree is funny. That yeah, is- it is. Funny. <laughs> and so he like fucking assaulted this tree. And oh, wow. I guess my parents had to come into the school and they were like, they like before that, we were allowed to watch whatever we wanted. And my mom's, my, I have two lesbian moms. And uh, at the time, Sweet. I did. Yeah, it was pretty dope, dude. I definitely didn't get bullied or anything. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I remember my my stepmom, Jackie, it was like crackdown city, like no more South Park, no more Limp Biscuit, no more of this. And I was like, I didn't fucking assault the tree, you know? Yeah. So anyways, that's yeah. my little anecdote about how dare you? How dare you? Yeah. I mean, especially because like if you got into corn, like. Jonathan Davis has like multiple songs about his like evil stepmom, not saying that your stepmom is evil, but just the sort of like, it was, it was, it's weird because I think like, I, I think, um, I always sort of compare corn and limp biscuit where, and corn changed once they got into like, follow the leader, follow the leader is like a different kind of corn. But if you look at like corn, self-titled life is peachy issues and untouchables, Jonathan Davis's whole thing was, he was like, I had a shitty life. I'm going to tell you about my shitty life in graphic detail. And you can just sort of pick and choose what part of that makes you upset. Mm. Whereas like on follow the leader and almost all of Limp Bizkit's material, they were like specifically speaking to children being like the world is fucked. It's all screwed up (laughs) and you should be, you should be, wrecking shit and being pissed and it's just funny because like i had a great life like it's funny like talking about cody like you even asking the question like i had a really good life i still have a good life like i i'm a straight white guy it's been pretty good (laughs) Mm -hmm. my pair my parents are still together I grew up in an affluent suburb of Toronto. I moved to an affluent suburb of Vancouver and not that my, I, I, my family's middle-class. I don't want to paint a picture like we were rich, but we were comfortable. I, I never wanted for anything. My parents didn't fight. They didn't treat me bad. And I would put on one corn song and I'd be like, fuck this shit. Fuck you, mom. Fuck you, dad. Fuck school. Fuck you bully at school you know like it was just like this music made you believe that your life was so much worse than it was and i guess it's like it's almost like it's it's almost like i was a boomer but when i was like 10 or like 12 like it, that's the kind of boomer attitude where they complain oh my property taxes are so high yeah you made a million dollars on your house shut the fuck up about your property taxes it's like the same thing i'm like fuck you mom and she's like what are you talking about Every day I'm still <laughs> married to your dad. You and your sister get along really well. Like, yeah. so it was just, it, it's just so interesting that this music did manage to tap into this weird, like white boy angst that like, I think a lot of us didn't even know we had, but then we heard the music and we're like, you know what? Maybe I am kind of angry. Mm-hmm. 100%. And also there is like, you could pinpoint one thing in your life that really pissed you off and you could just yeah. use that. Like, I remember this is really fucked up in 2021, but I remember being like an eight year old boy and going up from my mom and be like, do you guys have to be lesbians? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I that's like- not... Yeah. It eight, wasn't like, that's not like an like, unfair thing to no, think. I think it wasn't like I want you guys to break up. It was like 
maybe we could just reconfigure the term. Jackie can wear a fake mustache. Like, do we have to do this? (laughs) (laughs) My mom was like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I would like use that pain and that sorrow to like go in my room and write in my notepad and fucking listen to Lincoln Park usually. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like Jonathan Davis would have these songs about being like physically and sexually abused. And I, none of that ever happened to me, but it was the like the feeling and the anger that he was expressing it with. You felt like, oh, I relate to this. Even Mm -hmm. if it's, even if you didn't experience anything like that, it's exactly like you said, like maybe there was a kid at school I didn't like, or I failed a test or I got in trouble or whatever. Like, I think for me, that was mostly it. Like I I had a pretty bad temper when I was younger and I got suspended from school a lot. And I think for me, that was a lot of what it was. I sort of felt like I was being discriminated against a little bit and I was always getting in trouble, even though I probably felt like, well, I didn't really do anything, you know, or whatever. And so I think that was sort of the big kind of thing was for me, it was that was where I felt like I was. I I had some sort of anger at the man, quote unquote. And then even though I didn't have these like really deep seated issues that Jonathan Davis had, it was just the emotion with which it was being expressed where you felt like, okay, I I can relate to this. And I think there wasn't really music like that before. Really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you did have rock music and stuff in the seventies, but it wasn't passionate and pained in in the same way even even people who were going about singing deep songs like that like deep songs were often ballads and they were slower and it was like it was just like this aggressive but emotional music that really um i think resonated and i think that that's why it got so popular yeah 100 i mean i was actually thinking about that today like, like exactly what you just said john and I was wondering why that was what, 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 what was so connective about that type, about the music that was being released at that time, in particular, new metal uh, and rap rock. And I, the only theory that I could come up to was that it took a lot of the aggression and hardness of metal and punk music and rock and roll and combined it with the literalism of hip hop and rap and spoken word. And I think that has something to do with it because it was like, it had that aggressive, like, fuck you attitude but they were saying exactly what they're saying you know what i mean yes 100 percent. i keep thinking about like if i discovered limp biscuit sooner it might have like fucked up my life like like are you sure that i'm fucked up no 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 like i like my dad's like a cop and we're like in a small town growing up so like i always had to keep like appearances and like be the cool like not i was always a dork but i had to like not break the law ever i'd be like so fucked so i feel like if i was listening to limp biscuit i would like 100 percent start skateboarding and like start tagging with graffiti and shit and i just like i don't know <laughs> now i'm like glad i could pick it up later in life and like actually break shit that i own but yeah <laughs> that, yeah that you just tell your wife to fuck off <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um, it, it, it's yeah no for sure and i, I think it's it is honestly what I kind of said. I, I think it was just that we were sort of the first generation that had like a, that, that had a predominantly suburban upbringing. Um, and I think a lot of people maybe felt stuck or they weren't sure where they were going to go. And they felt like they were in these small towns and they had a lot of pent up rage mm-hmm. and they weren't sure 
what was going to happen. And I, and I think a lot of people felt like, am I just going to live in this suburb forever? Am I going to be my dad or am I going to be my mom? And, and this music sort of tapped into that in a, in a, in a, yeah, in a way that people clearly wanted, but it was a brief period in time too. It's funny how it was like, it was sort of this collective like boom and then bust. Like we've never seen a genre like that go, go in and out. I mean, because you know, like the famous one is disco, but like, we're still making disco music, you know, right. like, it's, like corn is disco in some ways. Like Brian and I were actually just talking about that when we were reviewing follow the leader, like follow the leader has disco out. Like, even though disco technically died, like disco drumming and, and disco song structure and, and stuff never really went away. And then obviously like pop music for the last 10 years sounds exactly like the disco era. So disco never really left, but it certainly came back. Whereas like, even if new metal revives, I don't think we're going to see like a brand new version of corn or limp biscuit or whatever. I think people have just decided these are the bands who got to do it. They can make it. And then that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so that's, that's the thing is like a new metal revival would be limp biscuit making another album. It wouldn't be, Oh, here's this brand new, new metal band. Like, there are lots and lots of bands who are making new metal right now, but none of them are pop. It won't have a moment like it had. It was just that bizarre, like three year period where it exploded. And then people were just like, you know what? We're kind of, we, we got it. We got what we needed. And, and so it's just, yeah, that, that part of it is so fascinating to me as well. Yeah. It's totally like flash in a pan. Um, I liked it more. I would more say it's like a better to burn out than fade away yeah i mean that's how i like to look at it i mean and 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 the thing is like corn's never really they've always had they've always been able to play arenas even when corn was at their absolute nadir they were always playing arenas so it's not like it's not like they ever had to go away but yeah just new metal just clearly branched off it was like the the two bands i always point to are lincoln park and slipknot so it was like Mm. new metal as new metal started to die down people were like i want something heavier or i want something more poppy and so they uh, you either chose lincoln park and you went down that road with like hoobastank and pod and you know bands like that stained and you know you kind of took that route or you went like slipknot disturbed you know, mm-hmm. or even got into the heavier sort of emo-y bands like Atreyu and Avenge Sevenfold and like those. So those are sort of, to me, the two sort of lanes that diverged from new metal and and people kind of were forced to make a choice because they were like, oh, Corn's pretty cool, but I'd like something heavier or Corn's pretty cool, but they're a little too heavy. Yeah. And so then that was kind of how it, how it diverged, I think. My real only memory of the band Stained was that uh, I used to listen to a lot of radio as a kid. And I don't know if you can tell by my broadcasting skills, but I used to have to <laughs> a ton of radio as a kid. And I remember the hardest I had ever laughed up to this point was that I was listening to like some like 99.3 The Fox or something. And they played a Stain song. And then afterwards, the radio guy came in and was like, hello, everybody. That was Stained. And we've officially run out of band names. And I remember <laughs> it fucking made me laugh so goddamn hard it was like three in the morning in my room because i used to go to bed to the radio and i was howling with laughter and my dad came in and was like what the fuck happened i was like the guy on the radio he said a joke about stained and the band name and and i was like go to fucking bed dude wow i mean 
Stained is not even close to the worst band name. We've ever <laughs> yeah. Like that's what's band, also yeah. very funny about that. Like Stained is like a fine. It's not like an amazing name, but it's not bad. Like, well, it sums just, it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a band called Puddle of Mud. God, don't even get me started. We did their album on POD cast. Oh, did it's, you? It's one, of the, it's one of the worst albums I've ever heard in my life. It's so bad. It's so it's honestly so bad. Other than the singles, the singles are really good. Like Blurry still is good and She Hates Me, you know, it's a fun mm-hmm. gimmicky song. Uh but yeah, that album is whew, it's tough to get through. Yeah, I imagine. Um I had a question for you John. Uh just cuz I I work in TV so I try and like think of these things but i have a really great idea and i want to run by you since you okay. said fred durst is a genius a couple of times on the pod what about fred durst hosting jeopardy i would hate it i would hate it. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very particular about jeopardy as much as i love fred durst i i mean you follow me on twitter so mm-hmm. you can see i'm very particular about jeopardy i think fred durst would be a very bad jeopardy host Right. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. So as much as I do like Fred Durst and I'm so happy that he feel it looks like he's found peace. Uh, I, yeah, I do. I do not want <laughs> back to the drawing board. Unless he did like a very cool, like it's a daily double. Like, if he did like a big, you know, if he went into his Fred, you know, his big Fred voice, he'd only he'd only read like four clues because every time he'd just be reading them in a very obnoxious Limp Biscuit voice. Then, then maybe I would allow it. I'll allow him to host one episode just for the joy of that. I feel like he would be better at hosting prices, right? And at the end of it, he Ooh. just gets a baseball bat and just smashes the item that the person won oh, in front yeah. of them. You know, that'd be like. Car. He's like Glim Biscuit break stuff. That would be. And they're cool. like, uh, you just ruined my toaster oven, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I would be into that. I think he, yes, Fred Durst definitely has Price is Right energy more so than 100%. Jeopardy energy. I agree. Very. You need an older man for Jeopardy. I feel like, or an older woman, yes. some gravitas. Yes, you do need that, and Fred just doesn't quite have it, uh, unfortunately for him. But yeah, but hey. I'm just happy he's back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, dude, we missed you, Fred. <laughs> we missed you, man. Where you yeah. been? I also do love that his 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 rebrand or whatever his like new look that he deleted all of his other Instagram photos to post that one. <laughs> oh, really? Thought, yes, it's the only photo on his Instagram, which is a great way. If you're gonna do it, that's a really good way to do it. Yeah, that's incredible. Is. Cool. Dude, um, he was kind of a fashion icon, wasn't he? Like the backwards red cap, the puffy jacket. He was sort of a fashion. I mean, yeah. maybe almost For having like horrible fashion. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I bought Dickies and I wouldn't yeah. have bought, I wouldn't have even known what Dickies were. You know, Dickie, like Brian and I talk about this too, because he wore Dickies exclusively and so did I. And it was like, yeah, like up until New Metal, Dickies were exclusively like, a poor man's pant no offense but like it's literally they were strictly for doing manual labor they were yeah. like built tough pants to do manual labor in and then chino from deftones i think rocked dickies the best just because Chino's such a an absolutely cool dude mm-hmm. um but fred yeah like i i 
exclusively wore Dickies for probably four or five years. I didn't even own jeans. I wore Dickies only um, just because they did. So, yeah. And then obviously like the baseball cap was huge. Yeah. Um, And that's the other funny thing is like people forget that like Fred's bald as hell. Like that's a wig that he's wearing. (laughs) Like it's really like I saw people being like, whoa, I don't remember Fred Durst with hair. It's like, yeah, because he didn't have any. That's why he (laughs) wore a hat. (laughs) And like Fred would wear a hat to like award shows. That's a man who's like insecure about his baldness. That's not a man trying to make you don't take Christina Aguilera to the MTV Video Music Awards and wear a hat. You just don't. Okay? So, you had to know it was an insecurity play and not a uh not a fashion statement, that's for sure. Yeah. It's so funny like watching their old stuff like him on TRL and seeing all the baggy jeans. I'm just like, "Oh, I'm so fucking jealous." Like, "Can I please come back?" Oh man. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so like, and that's the thing too, is like, I think with new metal in general, like you just bringing up TRL, like I think people forget just how popular it was. And especially like someone like you, Cody, like you're Mm -hmm. in the perfect age range where new metal has just basically been a joke your whole life. So you don't, you had to kind of live through like Follow the leader sold 14 million copies. Significant other sold 18 million. Significant other is diamond in the United States. You know how many albums are diamond? It's like less than a hundred. And one of them is Limp Biscuit. Like it's crazy that that like how many albums they sold got the life and freak on a leash were the first two videos to ever be retired on total request live. They introduced retiring videos for got the life. It wasn't even a concept until it got requested so much they were like you know what we're retiring it because we just we can't play got the life every single day like we just can't and so that's the thing is like i think a lot of people in that sort of like 20 to 29 age range right now only know of new metal as a joke and they don't understand that it was like a legitimate like cultural movement and fred durst for a time was legitimately one of the most famous people on yeah. earth which is just crazy to think about but but true that's crazy. You're just pulling those numbers off your dome. Like, <laughs> We've just done a lot. I've yeah. done a lot of, album, a lot of album stuff. In really know your shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, John, you know your podcast about new metal? Do you want to come on our podcast and talk about new metal? Yeah, I, I've done this multiple times, and I love it every time. It's very Fantastic. Fun. Yeah, yeah. No, Great. don't worry. Yeah, well, the corn one we just did. So in fairness, we just did follow the leader. But significant other is more just that that's like an astonishing total of records like it's astonishing that that like if you listen to that record now and i love it i it's it's a record i love deeply but like listening to it now it makes no sense that it sold that many like it doesn't Mm -hmm. you can't fathom that music like that sold 18 million because you can't sell you can't sell that many copies of a record without girls and parents buying it like mm-hmm. you just can't you, that can't you can't sell 18 million copies of a record to only white boys it's just not possible so then you think about like okay wait girls and like adults bought this fucking album how how is that possible so i think that's where it's like it just takes a lot to wrap your head around of like wow that's really how popular it was it was just yeah parents were buying this record for themselves which is just mind blowing to me yeah fuck yeah, no, it's oh, man, that that is that is crazy to think about. And and you know, I'm I'm actually a year younger than Cody, so like I, once again I experienced a lot of this through my brother, but 
I mean, I do remember going to people's house and everybody always had at least one Limp Biscuit CD at their yeah. house. Like everybody had a Limp Biscuit CD. And 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 it's quite interesting because when I was um when I was researching for this podcast, hey, I um, <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really. Care. Um. Uh. I. Uh, I saw that uh, Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit were actually huge supporters of Napster, and in fact, they went on a Napster-sponsored tour that was for free. And I thought that was super interesting and kind of against their self-interest in a way. But I think it speaks to Fred Durst's kind of fuck you attitude to the music industry, perhaps. I think it's just Fred being intelligent again. Fred yeah. knew where Fred knew where it was going. And I think Fred also had the benefit of seeing how badly Metallica wore it. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like a combo of that where Fred would have seen Metallica. Metallica, for whatever reason, decided they were going to be the face of the fight against Napster. And Fred saw the beating they took and he thought to because I think probably i'm just guessing i don't know this for sure but i'm guessing a lot of artists loved metallica for what they did right like a mm-hmm. lot of, like they weren't going to do it but they were thrilled that that a band that big was doing it right you know mm-hmm. because they're like well we don't want to take this publicity hit but if if this absolutely one of the most famous bands on earth is going to do it great because we don't we don't want napster to be around either and so i think a lot of bands at the time were sort of neutral so they weren't gaining anything from Napster. They were losing album sales maybe, but they were just sort of in that mushy middle. And Fred went, well, geez, what if there was a band that went all the way the other way? Because it seems like a, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are using this. So what if we went all the way the other way? Maybe that would actually make us more money. Like whatever we lose from Napster, we might gain by doing this or whatever. So again, I just think that that's Fred sort of knowing or, you know, maybe having the, the prescience to sort of see, like, this is never going to go away. We're not going to be able to fight this. So maybe I can be the guy on the on the other side of it. And I think one thing we talk about a lot on the POD cast is, like, it's deeply weird that these, like, bands of, like, late 20s and early 30s guys were, like, writing music exclusively for, like, 12-year-old boys. <laughs> like, it's very weird in a sense. Like, it's fine if that's who ends up listening to your music. But like in a lot of cases, they were writing for those kids. They weren't writing for anybody else. And so it's weird. But I also think in a strange way, a lot of those bands did really understand how to market to that age group. And so I think that just goes with their whole ethos is like they knew they knew what kids would want. They knew they, they were really smart about the way they marketed themselves, about the way they toured, the things they did. You know, like Corn was one of the first bands that ever did like online content. Like in 1998, in the lead up to Follow the Leader, they created this thing called Corn TV. And it was like a behind the scenes making of Follow the Leader. And it was exclusively on their website. So they were like one of the first bands to do like an online only thing. They were one of the first big package tours. Like, not that that didn't happen like in the 70s and stuff in the sort of barnstorming days, but like, mm-hmm. you know, Family Values Tour was like, hey, let's take literally the most popular bands on earth, throw Ice Cube on the bill, party time, let's go, you know? And so, yeah, they were just ahead of their time in a lot of that stuff. Like, I think they just, they understood really how that their music was being mostly listened to by kids and teenagers and they knew how to market that to those kids i think 
Dude, right. I'm not gonna lie. You've totally made me woke up Fred Durst during this podcast. <laughs> I am like, my fucking mind is kind of blown. Like, I really did work on this podcast, you know. Mm-hmm. And the shit I believe you. you. Tell, yeah, the shit that you've been saying to me every time. I'm just like, damn. Maybe Fred Durst is like, maybe John's right. Maybe Fred Durst is low key like smart as fuck. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm not joking. Like, I think no, when I, I say Fred Durst is a genius, people think I'm like at least a little bit tongue in cheek, and I'm not at all. I think he's an actual genius. I fucking love it, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, the whole the whole new metal thing w- w- is very bizarre and crazy, and um, yeah, and I love it. So, what can you say? There well, we go. That was awesome. Um, it's been a lot of fun, John. Uh, we've reached our time. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Uh, heading out, where can people find you? Sure. So we've obviously talked a lot on this podcast about my new metal uh, <laughs> revival podcast. Uh, but yeah, it's called the POD Cast. It's myself and Brian Quinby, uh, who you might know from Street Fight Radio, very popular podcast. Uh, once a month, we review a classic new metal album. Um, and so, yeah, you can check that out uh, on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. We spell cast with a K like the band Corn. Um, and then, yeah, my main podcast is a podcast called Blocked Party. Uh, that's where myself and Stefan Heck, uh, who you might know from the Internet, uh, we have a guest on every every week to talk about a time that the guest got blocked on social media. And that's a lot of fun. You can find that at Blocked Party Pod. Pardon me. And uh, yeah, I'm a stand up comedian and I tweet about Jeopardy and new metal a lot. So if that's your sort of thing, uh, you can follow me at Cullen the comic. And nice. uh, yeah, as Bo said off the top, I do have a, a record I just put out less than a year ago called Long Stories for No Reason. So if you're looking for uh, something to listen to on your next commute, it's available anywhere you get your music. And uh, yeah, if you heard me on this pod and you listen to that or you start listening to Block Party, let me know. Just say, hey, that you heard me on Stud City and. Uh, yeah that'd be great maybe you'll come back then <laughs> anytime i know uh, whatever yeah. you bring me back for don't expect me to have the same breadth of knowledge for it that, I, that i do for new metal i had one more question i just thought of um sure. we're talking about like fred durst's like crowd control sort of like his stage presence have you used that in your like stand-up or kind of been inspired been like get the fuck up or like anything oh. like that or do you wish you could no oh yeah yeah no i have i i mean not exactly the same but i would say that like uh yeah i remember one time in particular uh because here's the thing when people heckle at comedy shows they're usually Mm -hmm. quite inebriated you know so so it can often be difficult to like to put someone in their plate like if someone is drunk enough that they don't that the shame button no longer works because mm-hmm. that's usually like your go-to, right? Mm-hmm. Like if someone heckles you, you sort of, you make fun of them. You sort of publicly shame them. They go, Oh shit. I, that was embarrassing. I got owned by this comedian. Okay. I'll shut up now. And that works like 90% of the time. And then like 10% of the time, the person is just too drunk. Like their shame button is turned off for the night. They don't, they have no sense even probably that they're in a room full of people. So sometimes, yeah, like I, I remember one time in particular where this person was just not getting it. So I, I kind of tried to just like, hack, like sort of just sort of shamed them a little bit, kind of made fun of them. That didn't really work. They were sort of, they kept talking. And so at one point I was just like, uh, yeah, no, you, and then they kept going and I was like, you're no, you need to shut the fuck up. Like you need to shut up like you need to stop talking right now because that's the thing is like at some point you just have to 
you know, sort of appeal to the person's like lizard brain. And so, mm. uh, and I remember one time in particular, and, and so then they, they thought I was joking. Cause that's the other thing too, is like, if someone's drunk enough, they don't get that you're mad at them even like, they just think like, Oh, I'm part of the show. Everybody's laughing. Ha ha ha. We're all having a good time. They sometimes don't even get that you're mad. And so I, I literally had to be like, no, shut the fuck up. No, shut the fuck up. And they were like laughing still. And I was like, no, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm not, you need to shut your fucking mouth right now. or You're going to get kicked the fuck out of this club. And like, yeah, that sometimes you just have no choice. You just have to like, that's the only thing that this drunk person is going to respond to. So yeah, yeah that happened one and that person did end up getting kicked out. So yeah, drunk people uh-huh. are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they are the worst i can they're agree truly the they're truly the worst okay guys this is stud city the podcast for literally everyone my name is bo bennett you can catch my tweets at potus cody where 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 where, 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 where can they see you my friend at cody blacked out perfect <laughs> all right peace thank you everyone peace out, guys Lip biscuit Woo, yeah rocking the planet with dad's vibes me fuck me fuck ya Woo, yeah limp biscuit is uh New metal band, baby. Fuck, baby. Fuck yeah. Woo. Go check it out. Woo. Yeah. It's the best, baby. Woo. Rocking the planet with the dads, baby. Fuck yeah. Woo. The best metal band. Woo. Lip biscuit, baby. Fuck, baby. Fuck yeah. Because it's the best, baby. Fuck, baby. Fuck yeah. Woo. Get all. Woo. All you fans. Woo. Yeah. Go check it out. Be excited. Watch your lip biscuit, baby. Fuck, baby. Fuck yeah. If you're a heavy metal fan. Woo. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, Lip Biscuit's the best thing. Just one.